to you tonight. I need prayer, so I'm going to pray before we get into God's Word, and um, we'll conclude this series on Jonah. So I'm really excited about that. Father God, please, Lord, uh, just quiet our hearts, Lord, to receive your Word. I know even as I have been prepping this, just feeling inadequate, feeling distracted, feeling weak, and Lord, knowing that this week I have failed your law and many times, Lord, in my thoughts and my words and in my actions, I have not obeyed you. I have failed to obey your commands. I have not done the things that you have commanded me to do, Lord, and have neglected you in many ways. And we're all in the same boat. We don't come here to boast in our holiness or righteousness. We come needy and broken in need of a Savior, Lord, in need of forgiveness. And so, Lord, I pray that you would come to us tonight through your word. You are present in your word. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable. So, God, help me to deliver this message out of Matthew chapter 12 and to preach Christ. And I pray that if there's new visitors here and they're, they've never experienced this before, I just I pray that they would get one thing, that Christ is, is their only hope in life and death. Their only comfort in life and death is, is to take hold of Christ by faith. Him who died on the cross for our sins and rose again and is alive today and he will return. And so I pray that that message would be even expounded upon out of the book of Jonah and out of Matthew tonight, Lord. So please help me and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you can, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be in the gospel of Matthew. Um, and Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 42. And my goal tonight, my goal tonight, my title is The Greater Jonah. Okay, The Greater Jonah. Uh, how many of you are familiar with the Jonah story? Okay, most of you, you've been coming. Okay, hopefully, even if you're new, some of you, you would know who Jonah is. He was swallowed. You probably know the facts. He was swallowed by a great fish three days in the belly of a fish three nights and then he was vomited out on shore and if you didn't know he goes to preach the gospel to um, these pagan polytheists uh, wicked people so polytheists they believe in multiple gods and they reject the true god and jonah reluctantly goes and they all repent even their their cows repent you guys remember that and their their cattle and all that stuff and uh it is it is a really great book, and it's not so much, the book of Jonah is not so much about Jonah's message as much as it is about Jonah, right? It's just a critique on him, and I love the, the book title by Tim Keller on the book of Jonah. It's called The Prodigal Prophet because he is a runaway prophet. He is a disobedient prophet, and in many ways we're going to see tonight, my whole goal tonight is to show you how the message of Jonah is really all about Jesus, ultimately, and how some of you are like, I don't understand the Old Testament. Well, hopefully just in my this short time, I could give you some themes and some big ideas to help give you understanding or help, help you understand what the Old Testament is all about and what the Bible is ultimately all about and the message of Christianity. If someone were to come up to you at work tomorrow and say, what is the Bible about? How would you summarize it, right? Well, that's a big question. You could do that through the story of Jonah in a lot of ways, and we're going to see that tonight. 
So Matthew chapter 12, I'm going to read the text, Matthew 12, 38 through 42, and we'll get into why um, this, why Jesus is the greater Jonah and why it matters for us tonight. So Matthew 12, verse 38, Jesus is talking here. Uh, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Now, just some context, the Lord Jesus has been uh, he's already given them two signs. So if you look at verse 9 in chapter 12, it says that he went on from there and entered into their synagogue. And there was a man there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he puts the test, the Pharisees, and he heals this man's hand. Stretch out your hand, verse 13. And the man stretched it out and it was restored. Just right in front of them. The, the healing that Jesus brings is immediate. And so they, they already saw that. And skip down to verse 22. It says, there's then another sign that he does, another miracle. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he, that is Jesus, healed him. So that, the, so that the man spoke and saw, and the people were amazed, and they said, Can this be the son of David? But look at verse 24. But when the, the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man, Jesus, cast out demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your ju judges. And so, I love that. He Jesus quotes Abraham Lincoln and says, a kingdom that is against itself, you know, cannot stand. And so we see Jesus performs two signs, two miracles. And he heals a man's hand and he casts out demons. And here we have the Pharisees who saw that. They come to Jesus. So back to verse 38 and they say, teacher, I can only help that this is so disingenuous by them. So that's probably the tone. Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And Jesus, Jesus answered him, them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and in in three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Then the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment, that's the, that's the second coming of Christ, the final judgment, with this generation, and they will condemn it. They will condemn the Israelites. They will condemn those who reject Jesus. They will condemn you, Pharisees, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Okay, so... Jesus uses the book of Jonah as condemnation, really, against these Pharisees if they don't repent. And kind of the whole argument is this. The whole argument that Jesus is trying to make with the Pharisees is if Nineveh, this pagan wicked city, you know, think of the most depraved people that you could think of, repented at the lame preaching of Jonah, which was only five words in the Hebrew, if you, if you didn't know that, right? What was Jonah's message? It was like, the wrath is coming, and 40 days the city will be destroyed, right? No gospel, nothing about Jesus, nothing about the Messiah, nothing about grace, nothing about mercy, and yet they all repented. 
showing that God is the one. He's the author of salvation. He's the one that gives repentance. He's the one that gives faith. And they repented. They turned from their sin and they cried out to God. And then Jonah was mad about that, right? And so the idea is if these pagan Gentiles who, who lived not in Christian homes, who lived apart from the church, who lived apart from the word of God, who lived apart from all the miracles that God did in the, for the people of Israel, and yet at one word, they repented. How much more will your condemnation be, Pharisees, with you growing up with the word of God, you growing up with me right in front of you, Jesus, performing these signs, doing all these great miracles, even rising from the dead, which is the point there, how much more will your condemnation be if you reject me? You have way more privilege than Ninevites do, and yet you're going to reject me. And that's why he says, and Nineveh in the, in the judgment will stand up against you. And so we got to realize that these Pharisees, they had privileges from God. They grew up with the promises. They grew up with the ceremonial sacrifices, which were to point to Jesus, which were to point to the coming Messiah, and yet here they are, Jesus in front of them, doing these signs and miracles. And yet they are asking this question, we want to see a sign for you, but it's disingenuous. They don't really believe. They're trying to trap Jesus. In fact, in Matthew 16, we know that they're asking these questions in order to test Jesus. So what do we learn from this? I want to look at three things. I want to look at the problem. I want to look at the sign and I want to look at the greater prophet. So the problem, the problem that we see in the text is that these Pharisees, that they are evil, they're an evil and a, and a part of an adulterous generation that seeks a sign. But no sign will be given to it except for the sign of, uh, of Jonah. Now, why does Jesus call them evil? Why does Jesus call them adulterers? These were Pharisees. These were people that obeyed the law perfectly. At least they thought so, outwardly. Why would Jesus call them evil? Because the problem is, is not so much their behavior, though that is a problem, but really what's underlying that. Why do we sin? Where does evil, what's at the heart and the root of evil? What is the root of wickedness? Why is there brokenness in this world? What is the essence of sin? And really it's unbelief. Unbelief. That's the problem in this text that we see is that the Pharisees do not believe in the people of Israel, though they've seen Jesus, they do not believe in him. And that's why Jesus says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. Unbelief is the, is the essence of sin. It's at the core of sin. People ask, okay, what was the sin? The, the first sin was Adam and Eve in the garden, right? What was at the core? What was the sin though? What is it that they committed? Some people will say pride, right? Pride is, is the greatest of all sins. But at the heart of it, it's unbelief. Unbelief is the problem because when we sin, when we disobey God, when we do things that we shouldn't do, what we're doing is we're putting our trust in other objects other than Christ. We're saying, God, your word is not good for me in this moment. And in fact, I'm going to pursue my own pleasures because I believe that's what will satisfy me. At the heart of sin is unbelief. And so Jesus calls these very conservative, outwardly religious people evil and adulterous. What then does that make of all of us? <laughs> the Pharisees, they, 
they would have been the best of us. And the Bible has a lot to say about sin and where it comes from. At the heart of sin is unbelief. And these Pharisees, they are blind to who Jesus is. And that's the effect of sin. Sin blinds us from seeing Christ. It's, it blinds us from seeing His goodness. It, it blinds us from seeing the message. In fact, if you just turn the page to Matthew 13, just real quick, we see this in verse 13. Uh, we'll start in verse 10. And the disciples came to him and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And so there's, there's the problem. As though they hear, they can't, they're deaf. As though they see, they're blinded. This is the effect of sin. This is what sin is. When we sin against God, what we are... Looks like we're preaching in Mark 5 now. When we sin against God, we're ultimately choosing to trust in our own desires rather than what He says. That's, that's the problem here. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way. And so, why is it, then the question you might ask, why is it, though they've seen these miracles, that they don't believe? And it's because of the effects of sin. The effects of sin is Ephesians 2. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. John chapter 8, those who live in sin are slaves to sin. 1 Corinthians 2.14 talks about that the natural person cannot understand the, the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. The natural person that are, that's in the flesh. How come they can't see? How come, they, how come uh, though your friends, that you've given them the gospel, and you've maybe preached Christ to them, how come they still don't get it? It's because sin has blinded them. Turn with me to John chapter 3, just real quick. Just to prove this. John chapter 3. We have another encounter with the Pharisees here. A man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus at, at night. He says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, at least Nicodemus understands that. that. The purpose of the miracles was to give credibility to the message. And so he's like, we know that you come from God. But look how Jesus responds to him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born if he is old? Can I enter a second time into, my, into his mother's womb and be born? He's thinking naturally, physically, right? What? I've already been born once. Uh, what do you mean I need to be born again? Uh, that's impossible. 
But Jesus, he's talking spiritually here. He says, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. This understanding, what, what it means to be born again is that the Holy Spirit must come and implant new spiritual life in the heart of a dead soul. That's what needs to happen. Until the Holy Spirit illumines the heart of a sinner, they will never see Christ for who he is. These same Pharisees, when Jesus rose again from the dead, what did they say? What was their excuse? Well, the disciples, they stole his body, right? Still, even when Jesus performed the sign of Jonah of rising from the dead, they still did not get it. They still rejected Christ. So that's the problem here in the text. And it's a problem that we all face. A lack of trust. Even as believers. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by works. No, I live by faith in the Son of God who, who loved me and gave himself for me. We live the life by faith. Everything is by faith. Good works flows out of faith. But when we sin, what we're saying is, God, I'm putting my trust in these things rather than you. I'm not taking you at your word. So even as believers, we still it's still a battle of faith. And for those of you that don't know Jesus, it's not that you need to muster up faith inwardly. It's not a blind faith. It's taking Jesus at his word. And so what is the message of the Bible then that you need to come to believe? Well, it's the sign of Jonah. So point number one, we see the problem that's unbelief. That's unbelief. The second thing that we see in the text is the sign of Jonah. Let's go into this a little bit. What, what does Jesus have to do with Jonah? Okay, look at verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Okay, so what does Jesus have to do with Jonah? Well, Jonah was a prophet, right? First and foremost, he's the runaway prophet. He's the runaway prophet. One of my favorite movies is, uh, well, it's not really a favorite, but it's a classic, is Forrest Gump. And Forrest Gump, you, you probably have a lot of takes on it. You probably know it because life is like a box of chocolates and all that stuff. You know some quotes. But the whole movie is really about running, if you think about it. It, the whole movie he's running through it but even more than that is his i think it's his future wife jenny right jenny you know uh, jenny right she's running throughout the whole entire movie she's running away from her problems she's running away from her abusive uh dad she's running away from from everything that she knows she goes into drugs and sex and all these things and, and the whole movie she's running and forrest gump is running after her well jonah is the runaway prophet he doesn't run towards God. He runs away from God, right? We know that at the beginning of the story. Jonah did no signs. He did no miracles. So what does Jesus mean by the sign of Jonah? Well, Jonah is the sign. He is 
he is the sign. Now, what does a sign do? Okay, I'm using this language of sign. A sign points you to something, right? So you're driving down the road and like many of you, you're going really fast. And if you're Andrew, you're in your Lexus and you're going even more fast. And he's going about 120 down the road and then he sees a sign. Actually, Lauren catches it out of the corner of her eye and it says dead end up ahead, right? Now, is the sign a dead end, the, the dead end, or is it pointing to the dead end, right? It's, it's pointing to, it's signifying, it's got significant, significant significance, right? I'm trying to say that, sign, right? It's, it's pointing, Jonah has some significance about Jesus. He's trying to point us, the whole story of Jonah is pointing us to Jesus, okay? And so what is this sign, what is the sign of Jonah? Okay, let's go through the story of Jonah for those of you that haven't been here. Um, and just as a review, and how does it relate to Jesus? So Jesus, uh, Jonah is a runaway prophet. He disobeys God. God appoints him and he runs away from God. He doesn't want to share the gospel with these Ninevites. He doesn't want to call them to repentance, frankly, because he's kind of racist towards the, the Assyrians, all right? And Assyrians, they hate the Jews as well. And so he's like, I'm not going to them. They don't deserve it. I don't want to. I don't want to preach to them, and so he runs. He's disobedient, um, and so he's not happy about it. And God chases him down, essentially. And because of Jonah's disobedience, what does the Lord send? Before that, <laughs> the storm. That's right. So Jonah's on this boat. He's in the belly of this boat, and he sends this storm, this water judgment. Whenever you see water in the Old Testament, it always refers to judgment. How, what stories in the Old Testament can you think of that have to do with water and have to do with judgment? Noah. Good job. There's another one after Noah. Yeah, the Exodus. Good job, whoever said that, right? And so what happened in Noah? Noah was the only righteous man. Everyone else rejected God. Even Noah preached righteousness to them and they rejected it. And God brought wrath, the wrath of rain upon the earth. Pharaoh went up against God and his man Moses. God brought wrath of the Red Sea upon them, right? Well, Jonah's disobedience. And what's the punishment for sin? The wages of sin is death. It's wrath. And so he brings wrath. He brings the storm. And the sea was meant chaos. In the ancient Near East, there was chaos and death and destruction and demonic forces. That's what they would have thought. And so the people on the boat, they're freaking out. They're like, what are we going to do? And Jonah's like, hey, this is really my fault. Throw me overboard. And so they throw Jonah overboard into the wrath of the sea. And then what happens? What happens to the storm? What happens to the wrath? Stops. Jonah is the ransom price that stops the wrath of God, right? He's going to drown. He's drowning. There's seaweed wrapped around his head, right? He's in, he's, he's drowning. And then he's going to die, but God sends deliverance through what? A fish. Yeah, so the fish is not wrath, right? It's actually the instrument by which God saves Jonah. And thus the Ninevites, because if Jonah dies, the Nineveh never hears the gospel. They never hear the gospel. They die in their sins. So God appoints a fish. And some of you are like, that's probably a myth. 
it's it's not there are some really big fish actually when i was in the philippines i got to swim with whale sharks you guys know what a whale shark is it's probably one of the biggest fish in you know they got gills you know they're not mammals man those things are awesome you pay 20 bucks in the philippines you don't even sign a waiver like <laughs> like dude, it, was, it was crazy dude they're like the dollar bill goes so far in the Philippines, probably not anymore because of inflation, but still, uh, it, it, it goes pretty far. And uh, huge fish, like easily could have swallowed me. And that's what they do. They, they swallow, I don't know if it was a, a whale shark, but could have been, right? So God appoints this fish, swallows up Jonah. And Jonah says this prayer in Jonah too. What does he call the belly of the fish? He calls it the belly of Sheol. I'm in the belly of hell. I'm in the pit. He calls it Jonah 2.6. I'm in the pit, which translated in Psalm 16 is another word in Hebrew for grave. I'm in the grave. Three days, three nights. So Jonah, essentially, he perishes for his sin in the wrath of the sea. He is scooped up by the fish and he spends three nights in the belly of hell. But then God appoints the fish to vomit Jonah up on the shore. Resurrection, right? Resurrection. And then he goes and he preaches good news. Much deeper story. See, Jonah isn't so much like we don't need to be like Jonah. It's not just a moral story. It's pointing to something greater. Some of you are already kind of catching on to that. So he goes and he preaches the gospel, or not really. It's actually a, a message of wrath. It's a message of wrath, and the people repent. The people repent. And so the sign that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 12 is really is just as Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so I will spend three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. Some of you are like, well, Jesus only spent two nights. That's, that's right. It's actually a figure of speech in Hebrew. So it just means the same thing like three full days okay jesus does that and that's the sign you want to see a sign pharisees here it is i will rise again from the dead that's the story of jonah and that's how it points to jesus but that still doesn't fix the problem of unbelief let's go deeper into this how is jesus i don't want to finish this passage here so we see the story of jesus or jonah now, how, does, how is Jesus the greater Jonah? Because look at this in verse 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So we saw some similarities between Jonah and Christ, but how is Christ greater? How is the message of the Bible greater than Jonah? This leads to the final point. So we saw the problem, we see the sign, that's Jonah, and then lastly, the greater prophet, Jesus. Jesus. How is Jesus greater than Jonah? Well, think about it. He is everything that Jonah is not. There's a lot of similarities. He's a prophet. Jesus is a prophet. But instead of running away from God, not doing his will, he does his will perfectly. And instead of preaching wrath, he preaches grace preaches good news. Jonah reluctantly goes to the Ninevites. He hates them. Jesus comes to his own and he preaches to them. Jonah was a man of God. Jesus was the son of God. Jonah's pride led him down into the pit 
Jesus' humility was seen by his willingness to condescend and experience ultimate humiliation on the cross. So think about it. Just as Jonah was thrown into the sea to bear the wrath of his own sins, Jesus would be cast, lifted up on a cross to bear the wrath of God for our sake. And just as Jonah spent three nights in the pit, Jesus would die. And just as Jonah was spit out, resurrected, Jesus would really resurrect from the dead. And he is alive. And Jonah went to his enemies whom he hated, but Jesus went to his people whom he loved. Jonah came with words. Jesus came with the words and with deeds that verified them. I love this from a commentary. Jonah preached reluctantly, hoping his audience would not repent and taste God's grace. But Jesus was willing to pay any price to impart God's grace. Jesus is the greater Moses. He is the greater Moses. He's the greater Abraham. He's the greater, he's the greater Isaac. He's the greater Jonah. He's the greater Solomon. He's the greater David. The whole Testament is pointing to Jesus. The whole story of Jonah is pointing to Jesus. Why does this matter? I just gave you some facts. The problem is this. That just like Jonah, we are all runaways. We're always running to something else but God. Our hearts are always one. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Right, that hymn, Come Thou Found. We're always prone to wander, prone to disobey. And so if the story is be like Jonah, that's a failure. Really, Jonah points us to Jesus, who obeyed perfectly, (laughs) yet bore the penalty and the wrath for your sin. And so there's two types of people here tonight. There are those who are running away from God, Or there's those that are running to God constantly by faith and repentance, believing. And if you are running from God, God in his grace has appointed not a great fish, but his son to come and die for you. But if you reject him, At the judgment, those men, those wicked men in Nineveh that repented at Jonah's preaching will stand in judgment over you as you face the wrath of God forever. There will be no hope for you. The punishment for sin is death. We all deserve to be thrown overboard. (laughs) But Jesus was thrown overboard for you to face the wrath of God. If you've been baptized, you understand this. And so every single Sunday that we do baptism, there is a sign of either hope for you or condemnation. Because what does baptism represent? It's not just me obeying God, but this, this sign of baptism, of people going under the water and coming up What does it mean? It's kind of weird. Is there something powerful in the water, right? Is it some special chlorine that actually washes away your your sins and also your skin starts to dry out and flake and 
your eyes burn. <laughs> I mean, what is it? Well, what does baptism signify? If you're a believer and you've been baptized, what you're saying is, I have been crucified with Christ. I've faced the water judgment in Christ. I've, I'm drowning in... that. Really, sometimes I want to do that when I'm baptizing people. <laughs> Hold them up, because that's what it means. It's judgment. Water judgment. I've died with Christ, right? But in Him, He's risen from the dead. So His resurrection means my resurrection. And my, my sins have been washed because of Christ's blood that was shed for me. But those of you that watch that and aren't Christians, that haven't submitted your life to Christ, that haven't repented, all it is for you, what's going to happen, is you're going to be held under the wrath of God for all of eternity. There is no resurrection to new life. That's it. But if you cling to Jesus Christ, you can have forgiveness of sins, you could have the hope and assurance that you have been declared righteous. You could have the hope and assurance that because Christ rose again from the dead, you will rise with him. Do not reject Christ. Because he has appointed not a fish, but a day when he will return. And judgment will come upon all people, except for those that are hidden in Christ. Look at verse 43. Let me just end with this. This warning here about what happens if you reject Jesus. Matthew 12. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then this demonic spirit goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than that of the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. If they don't repent, Though they're under the condemnation now, if you aren't in Christ, you're under his condemnation and wrath now. And if you do not repent, the state, your state in eternal hell, will be far worse than it is now. But the good news of Jesus Christ is the good news of the message of Jonah. Is that he has sent a better prophet, a better priest, and a better king. A prophet who speaks a kind word to you, saying, repent and believe in Jesus Christ. I've come to die for you. By grace, you have been saved. Accept the free gift. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the good news. And how is it that we could have rest? Because Jesus Christ was thrown overboard. He was nailed on a cross. He took the wrath of God and our sin for us. And then he went into the belly of the, uh, of the earth. And he rose again from the dead. And either he is a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. Which is it? The sign of the resurrection is that he is Lord. I want to read this out of, just to end with this, out of this little book called the Heidelberg Catechism. And there's a question in here that it says, what benefits do we as Christians receive from the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What are the benefits to us? What is the sign of Jonah? What's the benefits of receiving the sign of Jonah, of the resurrection? The answer is first, by Jesus' resurrection, he has overcome death, that he might make us 
partakers of the righteousness which by his death he has obtained for us. Secondly, we also are now by his power raised up to new life. If you're a Christian, you're a new creation. You've, you've been born again. And thirdly, the resurrection of Christ is to us a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. Because Jesus dwells bodily in, in heaven right now, that is our pledge, our deposit, our guarantee that we will one day be with him forever and ever. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He is the greater Jonah. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for just your word. And Lord, forgive me for my lack of clarity and just my own sin and my own unworthiness. But Lord, your word is perfect. Your word is, is clear. And I just ask that the message of the gospel would, would permeate our hearts. We need more Christ. We need more of him. Uh, our better Jonah, our better prophet, who does not groan when sinners come to repentance, but rejoices, rejoices and receives the most wicked of sinners. It doesn't matter how far they've gone. He receives them so lovingly and compassionately and warmly. Lord, and I pray that each and every one of these, these, uh, these collegians, these 20s, would, would come to receive Jesus by faith, cling to him and look to him, um, Lord. And so that at the judgment, they would not be judged by the Ninevites or by you, but only receive the welcome, my dear son or daughter, come into my arms forever and ever. You are mine and dwell with me. Lord, we long for that day. Thank you for sending Jesus for us. In Jesus' name, amen.